Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd ask you to open up to the book of Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 4 this morning, and we're going to pick it up in verse 14 is where we're going to start at. And as you're turning there, um, I want to give you a little bit of summary of what Luke has been laying out from the beginning of the book up to this point, because what he's doing is he's uh, he's preparing us for the beginning of Jesus's ministry, which is what we're going to take a look at here this morning. Um, So just a real quick summary of what Luke has covered up to this point. So if you take a look at it. And it's, is that really loud? Or no, or is it just up here? So, if you take a look at it, um, what Luke begins with, he begins with the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist, and then he moves into the announcement of Jesus' birth. And then he covers the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus. And then, then, he, then he discusses the story of Jesus in the temple when he's 12 years old. And then he moves into John the Baptist's ministry. And then he covers Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. And then he, then he moves into Jesus' genealogy. And then he comes into the passage that's pr- just prior to what we're going to take a look at here this morning when Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted. So that's what, that's what Luke is covering to get us into the point where we're going to be at here this morning. That's what he's, and he's laying it out there for a specific reason. As we're going to look at in a little bit, he's not going in chronological order, but he's doing it for a specific reason, what he's doing here. And all of this is to get us ready. He's preparing us for Jesus to come on the scene and for the beginning of Jesus's ministry. And what we're going to get to take a look at here this morning is a story that Luke's given us, which is really a snapshot of Jesus' life and of Jesus' ministry. It's a picture of what Jesus is going to be doing throughout his life and his ministry here on earth. And, and in this story, what we're going to see is we're going to see that Jesus is bringing a message. And the message that Jesus is bringing is a message of grace. It's a message of hope. And he's going to be letting them know that he is the Messiah that God promised was going to come. That's what, he's going to let him, that's what he's going to let these people know here this morning in the message that he's going to bring. And we're going to get to see the response of these people that he brings this message to. And so, as you go through the book of Luke, and really as you go through all the Gospels and throughout the whole Bible, you're going to see two different responses to the message of Jesus. You're going to see two different responses to the message that Jesus has. You're going to see acceptance and repentance, And you're going to see rejection and rejection and anger and pride and even rejection to the point where they want to take his life. And so the question that I want to leave you guys here with this morning and the question that I want you to be keeping in your mind throughout this passage here this morning is what's your response going to be? What is your response going to be to the message that Jesus has for you? So take a look with me at Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 14. It says, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. 
And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Let's pray. Lord, I just... uh... I thank you for this time that we have, Lord. I thank you for your word and the truth of your word, Lord. I pray as uh, we take a look at this passage, Lord, that we would just uh, realize that you're speaking to us, each and every one of us. It's not for the neighbor that's next to us. It's not for those that aren't here. It's for each and every one of us. You have a message for each and every one of us, Lord. And I pray that we would have our hearts open to what you have to say, Lord. I pray that we would have hearts that are willing to be changed. That's why we're in your word. It's to change us. And Lord, I pray that we would come with hearts that are ready to be changed. And Lord, that we would take that message and we would take it out to the world around us that would impact those that are lost that are around us. And Lord, that we would see many, many people come to know who you are. Lord, I just pray that it would be lights in this dark nation. Lord, I just uh, I give this time to you, Lord, and I thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to meet together. In your name I pray. Amen. So, if we back up to verse 14. Verse 14, it says, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. So if you were just reading this through, reading the book of Luke through, you would think that, well, he just came from the temptation in the wilderness, and now he's heading in to Galilee. But, if, but, but as we see, Luke is not going in chronological order. If you look at the rest of the Gospels and you put everything together, then you really get a picture of what's actually taking place and what's really going on. And so... Luke, like I said, is not going in chronological order, but he's giving this story here for a specific purpose. And really what I want you to realize is this is the first story of Jesus' ministry that Luke is giving us. But it's not the first story that we have of his ministry. But Luke is giving this story to us because he wants us to be the first one. And there's a reason why, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But if you were to look in the other Gospels, if you looked in the Gospel of John and looked in the first four chapters, John fills us in on some of the things that have been taking place since Jesus left the wilderness where he was tempted. So some of the things that uh, John fills us in on, you would see that Jesus performed his first miracle, turning water into wine. You would see that he had started gathering some of his early followers. You would see that he had, he had already been in Jerusalem. He had already turned the tables over in the temple. And now he's coming back to Galilee. Which is what we have here when it says that G- then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Now he's on his way back to Galilee. And what he's doing is he's going from city to city, from town to town, from synagogue to synagogue, preaching and teaching the people. So that's what's going on. So... As we look at going on in verse 14, it says, And the news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So what's taking place here is Jesus is becoming known. He's becoming known throughout the land. And so 
So what I want you to remember is the town that Jesus is from is the town of Nazareth. And most scholars put that town during Jesus' time somewhere between 50 to 100 people. So it's a small town. It's basically a quarter to, at best, a half the size of Castleford. So it's not a very big town. It's a small town that he's from. But he had left that town. And he had begun his public ministry. And as he had done so, his name was becoming known throughout the land. So think about it. Jesus, he had turned water into wine. He had healed a boy in Capernaum. And these stories had, were spreading throughout the region. The people were coming to know who this guy is. They're wondering, who is this Jesus? So he's becoming known throughout the land. And as we see here, as his fame is growing, he's going to come home. He's going to come back home. And the people, they're excited to hear what he has to say. Look at verse 16. It says, So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. So there's excitement going on. Jesus is coming back to his hometown. And he's coming back to his hometown as a hometown hero. This is young Joseph's son, the now famous rabbi. He's out there preaching. He's out there teaching. He's out there performing miracles. And these people in Nazareth are excited to hear the message that Jesus has for him. And so he goes to the synagogue. Look at it. It goes on in verse 16 and it says, And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So he comes into the synagogue and they invite him to preach. So imagine here, this synagogue, it is probably completely packed because everybody wants to hear what Jesus has to say. So before we go on and we take a look at what the content of his message was, I just want, I just want to make sure we all understand and we know what a synagogue is and what takes place in a synagogue. So a synagogue, it's, a, it's basically it was a local gathering place where the people gathered to worship. So, so during the time of the exile, when the Israelites were exiled out of Israel, the people that were left couldn't go to the temple anymore because the temple had been destroyed. So they built synagogues in the towns so that they would have a place where they could go. And so it's a lot like our local churches today. And what I want you to see here is it says, And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue. So Jesus gathered with God's people to worship God. So if that's his custom, shouldn't it be ours as well? Shouldn't, shouldn't that be our regular pattern of life? See, God wants us to gather together with other believers. He wants us to gather together in fellowship. He wants us to gather together and dig into his word. He wants us to gather together and worship him. And what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. See, it was the practice and it was the custom of Jesus. Shouldn't it be the practice and the custom of us as well? And for those of you that are fathers, do you understand the priority of gathering and worshiping corporately? We need to be leading our families. Do you understand that we are the ones that are going to stand before God on Judgment Day and we're the ones that are going to be held accountable for our families? It should be a sobering thought. I will be held accountable for my two boys that I've been entrusted with. And on Judgment Day, I want to see those boys going in the right direction. Do you understand? Do you understand the priority? Jesus, this was his custom. And it should be our custom as well. And look, and it says, and he stood up to read. 
So Jesus here, he was the guest teacher that day. He was the guest rabbi there. So what would happen in these small towns that had synagogues? They couldn't have somebody that could devote all of their time to being the leader or being the pastor in that synagogue. So what they would do is, if there were men in the town that knew the law and knew the prophets and were able to teach, they would get up and they would do the service and they would take turns. So anytime a qualified rabbi came to town, they would ask that rabbi to teach that day or to, be, or to lead the synagogue service that day. So Jesus was the guest teacher that day. Jesus was the guest rabbi for that day. So now we've seen, we've kind of seen what the setting is for the message that Jesus is going to bring. So let's see, we're going to get to see what is the content of his message. Look at verse 17. And it says, As he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it's written. So, so we've seen, we've taken a look at what a synagogue is. What I want to do before we get into the content of his message is I want to look at what was a typical synagogue service like? And really, it's not much different than what we do today. So if a typical synagogue service, what it would do is it open with an invocation for God's blessing. So typically, they'd open with singing of a psalm, just like we do. And then they would recite the Shema. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, they'd say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord, with, Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then the Shema would be followed up by a prayer. And then the prayer would be followed up from the prescribed readings from the law and the prophets. And then they would give the message. So, so they would read the scripture and then they would give an explanation of the scripture just like we do today. So Jesus here, Jesus was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he opened that scroll and it says here that he found the place where it's written. Now what I want you to think about, this is incredible. It's incredible to me, because think about it. He's handed the Old Testament scroll. And so if you've seen the scrolls, they have to unroll them one way, roll them the other way to find where they want to be. So he's handed the Old Testament scroll of Isaiah. And I want you to realize that this scroll was written in Hebrew. So if it's written in Hebrew, it was written in all capital letters, no spaces, no punctuation, no chapters and verses like we have today. And Jesus opens up the scroll and finds exactly the verse that he wants to teach on. So if you think about that, to be able to do this, he had to know the scriptures. So do you, do you realize how well he knew the scriptures? This was a man who knew the word. He knew the word of God. He was the son of God. He he knew the Word of God. He didn't have his own personal copy like we do. So what did he have to do? He had to go down to the synagogue, find the scroll that he wanted to study, unravel it, study it, read it, learn it. See, Jesus disciplined himself, and he knew the Word of God. And if you see where this is placed, where Luke has placed this passage in Scripture, what it's following, it's following the temptation in the wilderness. How did Jesus combat the enemy in the wilderness? He knew the Word. And if you look at that passage, Luke is laying it out so that we can see how important it is that Jesus knew the Word and how important it is for us to know the Word. This is where we need to be. We need to be in His Word. We need to know His Word. And for those of you that were here a few weeks ago during family camp, um, I told you about a boy in the Sunday school class that we have run across that was on his 18th time through the Bible in two years. And how that should challenge us and we need to be in the Bible as well. He is now informing he's on his 19th time through. He's finished the 18th time. In two years. 
But what I want you guys to know is uh, this boy, since he's given himself away. Um, where we ran across this guy at is in Good News Club. He, it is a great club. So what I want you to guys know, though, is he's not from a home that goes to church. Somebody gave him a Bible. His grandma gave him a Bible two years ago, and this is the impact it's made on his life. And this is where we need to be. So just to let you guys know, we have kids from Good News Club. We have Good News Club in Buell and in Filer. And we need more volunteers for those. We have kids here in Castleford that have complained to me that are telling me it's not fair because we don't have a Good News Club for them there as well. So we need more people. So if the Lord lays it on your heart, please, please go find Levi or find Lori. They will get you plugged in into Good News Club. Um, this is the impact that it makes. Because I'll tell you, and it, hopefully, Raven, this is okay, because I didn't know if you were going to be in here or not this morning. Is it okay if I tell them your prayer request from last week? So what I do in Sunday school is there's a board in the Sunday school room back there, and I put their prayer requests on the board for prayers that they have, and then we have a board for answer prayer, and we move them over. His prayer request for last week was that he would be used by the Lord to teach his word. That's from a nine-year-old boy. I mean, that... Almost ten. So, but this is the impact. The Lord lets us see the impact of some of the ministries going on. And I was just speaking with George this morning, some of the things that have happened in the jail. And it's the same thing. I know it's in all the ministries. I'm just focused on children's ministry because that's where I'm involved in. But I know it's happening. He lets us see the fruit of the ministries. But, Lord, but, I, but I know the Lord places specific areas on our hearts to minister. So please step up and do it because we need it. We need people. We desperately need people to go into the schools. We have an open window right now and we do not know how long it's going to be open. So we need to take advantage of it. Because right here we've got a boy that wants to come to church. He told me last week he loves it here. He loves coming to church. And so that's what we have. And so, so we have Jesus here who, who unrolls the scroll and he goes to the spot because he knows the word so well. And what I was going to tell you with Raven is in Sunday school, when I'm teaching, he knows exactly where I'm at in the Bible, wherever I'm at. He can find it because he's been through the word so many times. And he's able to take the Old Testament pictures and tie them in with the New Testament concepts because he's been through the word so many times. And what I would do this for, the only reason I'm doing this is I want to challenge us. It challenges me. I need to be in the word more because if he can do it, so can I. And so I have no excuse. Everybody can do it. That's absolutely right. Everybody can do it. And that's we need to be challenged by it. Because the Lord has placed him in our lives for a reason. I don't know who he's going to impact in his life. But those kids are out there and they're hungry for the word. And they don't even know it. So Jesus here, he unrolls the scroll and he goes to exactly where he wants to go. And for us, it's Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. So if we were to go to Isaiah chapter 61 and look at the context of what's actually going on there in that, in that section of Scripture, you would see that it's the context there of it's a message to the exiles. So those that are being exiled out of Israel, what God is doing there is God is promising them that He's going to restore them. He's promising them that He's going to bring them back. He's promising them that He has not forgotten about them. But when you look at that passage of Scripture there, He's paralleling that whole passage and what's going on and what He's promising them with, with the year of Jubilee. So just to make sure that we all know what the year of Jubilee is, 
Um, the year of Jubilee is described for us in Leviticus chapter 25. And so in Jewish law, every seventh year was to be a sabbatical year. So the land was supposed to be allowed to rest every seventh year. So let the land lay fallow. In every 50th year, so after seven sabbaticals, so every 50th year, it was set apart as the year of Jubilee. And the main purpose for the year of Jubilee was, was to balance the economic system. That it, if uh, all slaves would be set free... That year, that any property that was sold during those 50 years would go back to the original owners. All debts were canceled. The, the land was supposed to be laid fallow for that year. And, and through this, the people would know God's grace. That was the idea of the year of Jubilee, that this would remind the people of God's amazing grace. So every 50 years, God would extend grace that nobody deserved. That was the idea of it. And what Jesus is doing here, Jesus is going to this passage and he's paralleling the year of Jubilee to be able to tell them that something much greater is taking place now. So let's look at his message. Verse 18. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So this is a summary of Jesus' message throughout the whole book of Luke, if you take a look through the book of Luke. Now, there's really two levels that I want to take a look at that, that is going on in this message. And the initial one is the level of, of what the prophet Isaiah is, is giving to the people that are going into exile. And it's a level that God is literally going to rescue them. And as Jesus is saying this, there is a literal sense to this as well. That Jesus is literally ministering to the poor. And as you'll see as you go through the book of Luke, that Luke more than any other author brings up the poor. Luke, more than any other author, brings up the brokenhearted. Luke, more than any other author, brings up the lost. And Jesus literally ministers to the poor. Jesus literally ministers to the blind. But what Jesus is speaking to here, the audience that Jesus is speaking to here, that's not what he's specifically talking about. He's going to a much deeper, deeper level because what he's going to do is he's going to tell them that they are the poor. He's going to tell them that they are the blind. He's going to tell them that they're the brokenhearted. He's going to their much deeper spiritual needs. And so this text that he read from, that he chose to read from out of the book of Isaiah here, the, the Jewish rabbis interpret that passage to be, to, be, to be referring to the Messiah. And the people that were sitting in that synagogue would have known that. And so when he says here at the beginning of the passage that he read, when he says, He has anointed me, that's, that's messianic language. That word anointed, it speaks to the idea of the Messiah. That this is the Messiah speaking. And really what he's going to do here is he's going to be speaking to four different groups of people. But all those four groups of people is really bound up into one group. And that one group that it's bound up into is anybody that's under the bondage of, bondage of sin. Anybody that's under the bondage of death. Anybody that's under the bondage of the law. So this is how he begins. This is how he begins his message. He says he begins here to preach the gospel to the poor. So what does the gospel mean? We know what it means. It means the good news, right? The gospel, gospel is the good news. And he's taking the good news to the poor. Now that word poor there, when you look at it, it doesn't mean kind of poor. That's not what it's talking about. It means destitute. It means a beggar. Somebody that is in absolute desperate need. For us, 
spiritually bankrupt. And until we come to the place where, until we come to the point and understand that we are bankrupt without God, there is no good news for us. If we think, well, you know what, I'm fine. I'm rich in my own life. My life is blessed in so many different ways. I'm not poor. I'm a pretty good person. If that's how we think, then this message of the good news cannot affect you. You have got to acknowledge and you have got to recognize that you're poor. And as Jesus begins to help these people realize this, we see the response. We know what it is because we just read it. They become enraged. It says that they're filled with wrath. And even people today, a lot of people today, and I'm sure you've run across it, when they're told that their life, the life that they're living, earns them separation from God because they're sinners, they become angry as well. Just like these people that we see that Jesus is speaking to here. Because nobody wants to be told that they're spiritually poor. Nobody wants to be told that they're sinners. Nobody wants to be told that they're wrong. But until we come and understand that we are, we cannot receive this good news. Yeah, we do. We've got to understand that we're broke. We have to understand that we're poor. But until we understand that, we cannot receive the good news. See, Jesus is telling them, and He's telling us that we're poor without Christ. But these guys, they did not get it. They didn't get it. Hopefully, we have. Hopefully, we get it. That that we're poor and that we've got nothing to offer Him. Nothing to give Him except our faith and our belief in the finished work of Christ. And that He offers us richness. He offers us richness of righteousness of His Son Jesus in exchange for our filthy rags. That is the good news of the Gospel. And that's what Jesus was bringing. And look, He continues on. And He says, To proclaim liberty to the captives. That word liberty, it means to be released. Or to be set free. Yeah, you got it, didn't you? Yes. And again, the only people, the only people that can receive liberty, the only people that can receive freedom, the only people that can be set free, the only people that can be released are those that realize that they're trapped. If you don't realize that you're stuck, if you don't realize that you're trapped, if you don't realize that you're in bondage, you can't be set free. Just like the alcoholic, just like somebody that's addicted to gambling, just like somebody that's addicted to anything and does not realize that they have a problem, you can't fix it until you realize that you have a problem and admit that you have a problem. So Jesus here, Jesus is promising liberty. He's promising freedom. He's promising release from that bondage. The bondage of what? Sin. It's sin that makes us a slave. It's sin that traps us. And what did Jesus say on the cross? He said, it is finished. The word that he used is te telestai. Te telestai, it was a word that was used in the marketplace. When a person would exchange goods for money with another person, they would make that financial transaction and they would say, te telestai, it is finished. It means the debt's been paid. I owe you no more. And when Jesus, what Jesus is saying, when He says, Te Telestai, it is finished, He's saying the debt of sin is paid. My blood has paid that debt forever. So then we can be freed from the bondage of sin. That's what He's talking about here in this message. And look, He continues on. And He says, And recovery of sight to the blind. 
So if you take a look at in John, in the book of John, chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, Jesus says, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. See, what sin does to us is it blinds us. It blinds us to the way we can't see. We don't even know that we're trapped. We don't even know that we're poor. We think everything's okay. We, we, we think things really aren't that bad. That I can fix these things if I just try a little bit harder. Well, hopefully not. We don't, want to, we don't think we're perfect. Okay. We need to realize that we are broke and that sin blinds us. And you think, we think, well, you know, I can fix this on my own. Maybe if I went to church a little bit more. Maybe if I read my Bible a little bit more. Maybe if I prayed a little bit more. Maybe, maybe if I did this or this or this, then I'll be okay. Then God will love me. Then God will be okay with me. Then Jesus will accept me. And Jesus is coming to tell us. Jesus is telling us that nothing within ourselves can save us. Nothing within ourselves can rescue us. Nothing within ourselves can give us sight. But Christ can. We do have to believe in Him. Who opens the eyes of the blind? Jesus. Jesus does. Christ opens the eyes of the blind. And as we go on through Luke, we literally see this happen, right? He does open the eyes of the blind. He makes us rich and unborn. So this is how we do Sunday school. <laughs> For those of you that want to be in Sunday school, there will be an opening in my class in a few weeks. And this is the boy that you will get. So, the way we do Sunday school is I don't believe in raising hands. I know that may go against some of you that are school teachers. We go back and forth with all the kids. That's just how I do it. So it's a little bit different. So this, he doesn't know any different. He's never been in church before. So this is... Actually, I, that's kind of why I was hoping he would be here today. Because I want you guys to see how we do it with the kids. But uh, Jesus literally opens the eyes of the blind. But we also see that He's opening the eyes of the spiritually blind as well. He's opening them so that they realize the condition of their heart and they turn and they repent. So look at it in His message. He, can, he continues on and He says, To set at liberty those who are oppressed. There's that word liberty again, which means to be released or to be set free. So, so to be set free, to set free the oppressed. What, is it, what does it mean to be oppressed? It means to be broken in pieces, to be shattered, to be crushed. It's the concept here. What it's trying to get across is the concept of being abused. So what he's saying, is, Jesus is saying, you are crushed under the weight of your sin. And Jesus is offering them freedom. He's offering them grace. Look at verse 19. He goes on and it says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now what Jesus is doing here is he's tying this in with the concept of the year of Jubilee. That era of grace. And he's saying, hey, I'm bringing in a new era of grace like no one has ever known. I'm bringing in forgiveness unlike the world has ever known. And what he's telling them is he's saying he is the promised Messiah that he is bringing the good news. He's telling them flat out that's who he is. In verse 20, it goes on and it says, Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. So do you realize what's going on? They wanted to hear what he had to say. They are focused on Jesus. Verse 21, 
And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So what Jesus is saying here is that he's ushering in that new era. That he is bringing in what we know of in the New Testament as the new covenant. He is saying that he was the promised Messiah. That he is the promised Messiah that was to come. And now we're going to get to see the people's response. And the Jewish people hated him then. Not, not yet. Not yet. So we're going to get to see the response. Look at the response first though. This is what I want you to see, Raven. Look at this. Look in verse 22. It says, So he... So, so all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? So look at the response. Their first response is a positive response. They marveled at him. They spoke well of him. They were amazed. They said, is this not Joseph's son? They were amazed that this, this young man that they had known as a little boy had grown up to be such a learned rabbi. But Jesus knew what was really going on in their hearts. So he's going to dig a little bit deeper. See, Jesus, God, is not okay with us just saying the right thing. He's not okay with, just giving, with us just giving the right religious answers. He's not okay with us just speaking Christianese. He's not okay with us leaving church on Sunday morning and saying, hey, that was a great message, and then just going on and living the rest of our lives. We've got to change. He wants us to change. He wants us to do something about it. And He's going to continue to dig in our lives until He gets to the core and He causes us to change. Either, either one way or the other. Either to receive Him or to reject Him. He does not want us to be complacent. There is no neutral. You're either for Him or against Him. And that's what He wants. Look at He continues on. In verse 23. It says, he said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. So when they say that phrase, physician, heal yourself, what it means is do a miracle. Remember, he had healed a young boy in Capernaum. And what they're saying, they're saying, okay, if you're saying that you're the Messiah, then prove it. We want to see this in action. So Jesus continues on in verse 24. It says, Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. So what Jesus is going to do here is he's going to give us two examples. He's going to give us two examples that cut right to the heart of these people he's speaking to. And these examples are going to address the religious pride. And the first example that we're going to take a look at is in 1 Kings 17. And so just a quick summary. First Kings 17, what's going on is, is during that time, Israel is under the reign of King Ahab and Jezebel. They're in the middle of a three and a half year drought. And God sends Elijah to a widow. Look, at what, look, at, look in verse 25 what Jesus says. I know the story. Good. Like the best one. <laughs> but I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months. And there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. So, so the point of this story here is, is, is Jesus is telling them that God showed mercy, that God showed grace to a widow who was a Gentile. And now Elijah, he went to this woman in Sidon. Now Sidon was not not just a foreign land, but it was the homeland of Jezebel. And if you look at this story, you're going to see that Elijah goes to this widow and that she's on the last bit of food that she has for her and her son. So actually, why don't we take a look? Let's go, let's go to 1 Kings chapter 17. Let's look at the story. 
First Kings chapter 17. I'll read you the story just so we can have an understanding of what's actually going on. It says, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward, and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. Then ravens brought him food and and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to go get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. So, So what she's saying, she's saying, I don't have anything left. I'm going to make this food for me and my son and we're going to die. And so Elijah goes on to say in verse 13, it says, And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So so what does she do? What does she do? We're going to see. She responds in faith. Look in verse 15. It says, So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry. According to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. So she responded in faith. Now, So ultimately, what's the purpose of the story? To show that she had faith, that she believed. And so that's what Jesus is getting at with these, with, with these uh, people that are in the synagogue. So, so really, the Israelites, they didn't want, they didn't like this story. They didn't want to remember this story. They didn't like this part of history. They wanted to forget that they were a wicked nation under Ahab. They're religious people now. They're good people now. That's how they viewed themselves. They're not the problem. It's that Roman government that's the problem around them. See, the Messiah was supposed to come and get them out of that. He was supposed to rescue them from the Roman occupation. They're the good guys. He came to rescue them from sin. That's right. And that's what he's showing them. That's exactly what he is showing them. Jesus is showing them, he's showing them this story to show them that they're the ones that are poor, that they're the ones that are broken, that they're the ones that are blind, that they're the ones that are oppressed. And so their blood begins to boil here. And he shares, them with, he shares with them another story. He's not done yet. Look at uh, verse 27. 
It says, And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So this is 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. Why don't we go there and we'll, I'll read it to you real quick. so we can, I, I'm not going to do the whole story. I'm just going to do the first five verses so that we have a little bit of idea what's going on. And actually, uh, Raven will teach it too if you want to know too. So now, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. So again... So, so if you want to read the rest of the story, you can read it this week. I'm not going to take the time to do it right now. Yes. <laughs> so, so again, because we're going we're to run out of time, Raven. Again, this story here, the Israelites didn't like this story. They didn't want to remember this story. It's a story about a commander of the Assyrian army. The very army that God used to discipline the Israelites. It's the very army that God used to punish the Israelites with. And Naaman, he he comes because of this this captured slave girl. A little girl tells him that, that there was a prophet in Israel, Elisha, who could heal Naaman's leprosy. So Naaman goes to Israel. He finds Elisha. But before he finds Elisha, Elisha sends a messenger to him and tells him to go bathe seven times, go dip seven times in the Jordan River. And when, and when he first hears it, he's mad. He's frustrated. He's saying, man, I've got cleaner rivers in Syria. I could have just gone and done that there. But eventually what he does is he humbles himself. <laughs> so eventually what does he do though? He humbles himself. And he, he humbles himself to the point of obedience and he goes down and he dips in the river seven times. And Jesus is sharing this story for a specific reason. He's sharing both of these stories for a specific reason. That God would take an enemy leader and that he would take a widow from the homeland of the Gentiles and that if they would be willing to repent and believe, he would rescue them. And now, back in Luke, the people that he's speaking to, they're beginning to understand what Jesus is doing, what Jesus is saying, that Jesus is calling them the poor, that Jesus is calling them the blind, that Jesus is calling them the captive, that Jesus is calling them the oppressed. And now we're going to get to see their real response. Look at verse 28, back in Luke. It says, So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. He did. That's what it says. But how did he want them to respond? He wanted them to respond in humility. He wanted them to respond in repentance. He wanted them to respond in faith. But how did they respond instead? With anger and hate and pride and arrogance, right? Yeah. They were filled with wrath to the point where they wanted to kill him. 
So what, what, what Luke is doing here is he's giving us a picture of the entire life, the entire ministry of Jesus. Jesus is going to preach the same message over and over again. And it's not the exact same words, but it's the same message. It's a message of grace. It's a message of hope. It's a message that confronts the sinful heart of man. And what did I ask you from the beginning? There's going to be one of two responses to his message. He's either, people are either going to respond in faith or they're going to respond in anger and pride. How are you going to respond? Look at verse 30. It says, Then, passing through them, or then, passing through the midst of them, he went his way. So, what does verse 30 tell us? It tells us that nobody can take Jesus' life. And what Luke is doing here is he's as you work through the whole book, he's setting it up so that we realize when we come to the end of the book that nobody takes Jesus' life, that Jesus lays down his life for us. On the cross. And that goes back to what he's teaching. It, that's the good news. That is the good news. He's the one that's bringing the good news. And, and what Luke is doing is he's setting us up as a reader to go through his book and going through his gospel that this, these responses that we see out of these people are going to come up over and over and over again. And he wants to get us to the point of how are we going to respond. How are we going to respond to his message that he's given us, his message of grace? Are we going to turn and believe, or are we going to reject him? That's the question that he has for us. And that's the question I want you to take with you today. And as you read through his word, how are you going to respond? Because there's stuff in here that should challenge us. It's not just to read it. It's to challenge us and it's to change us. He wants to change us. That's why we read His Word. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord, I just uh, I thank You for this time that You've given us. The, uh, the message that You have for us, Lord. I just pray that hearts would be changed. And Lord... Uh, I just I thank you for letting us see the fruit of the ministries that are going on here in this body. It just amazes me. It amazes me the people that you've brought across our lives. And Lord, I just pray that we would be continue to be faithful to what you've entrusted us with, that we would continue to pour into these kids your word, because that's what's going to impact the world. I don't know how many people that are going to be impacted because of what Good News Club has done. I thank you for those opportunities that we have to be in those churches. Lord, I pray for workers to come. We need them. There's kids that are asking, they're begging, they're saying it's not fair that we don't get one. And Lord, I just pray. I pray that you would send those workers, that you would lay it on somebody's heart right now. And I know there's, there's many needs in many different ministries. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would work on people's lives and that they'd want to step up and, and, and do what you've asked them to do, Lord. I, just, uh, I pray that you'd be with us, that you would go with us, that you would just surround us with your presence, Lord. Give us your strength, give us your courage to do what you've called us to do. Lord, it's through you that we get that strength, and that's where our peace comes from. It's only through you, Lord, and I thank you for that. In your name I pray, amen.